Well, I want to say hey and uh, welcome you here to Genesis today. My name is Paul Mumaw and I'm the lead pastor and uh, I I want to just start off by giving a really big thank you and uh, say a big thank you uh, to all of you. Um, If there's one thing that I am really, really grateful for amongst many things uh, with Genesis Church, I'm just so grateful for all of the people, all of our leaders and volunteers uh, that serve and give their time every single week, uh, whether it be, you know, with things having to do with our worship service or our first impressions team, serving with kids and students, or for all of those who serve behind the scenes, uh, we could never hire enough people, hire enough staff to do all of the work that it takes uh, for us to be able to do, uh, you know, the work of Genesis every single week. And and so I want to say thank you. Will you just kind of join me and just kind of show an appreciation for all the people uh, that do that? And alongside of that, I want to thank you for your response last week. You know, we had a number of people that signed up that said, hey, you can count me in. I want to serve on a team here at Genesis Church. We've been looking to increase our teams, uh, increase the people on our team, and we're off to a really great start. So thank you for that. But uh, we're not done yet. Uh, we're not done yet. We, we've got some more work to do. And while we've got a great team of volunteers, and again, while we have a bunch of people that were willing to sign up to join in on one of our teams, uh, we still need your help. Uh, we need your help. I mean, one of the great things that's happening around Genesis Church right now is that our church is growing, and uh, it's growing very fast in all three services, and not only here in Noblesville, but our Carmel campus too. And because we are growing so quickly right now, uh, we really do need your help. And we talk about this all the time, but just to kind of say it again, you know, we're not a sideline sort of a church. Uh, we're a get-in-the-game sort of a church. I, I don't know about you, but I spent my high school basketball career on the bench. And it's not fun. It's not fun sitting on the bench. It is, it is better to get into the game. And I really admired those opportunities I had to get in the game. They didn't come along very often, you know, like when we were winning by 40 or something. But anyway, uh, I want to invite you to get in the game because, again, we're not a sideline sort of a church. We, we don't apologize for saying, hey, if you're here and you call Genesis Church your church, we believe God has you here for a reason. And uh, you're going to help make up this body and a part of the work uh, that we're called to do. And so I want to invite you. I want to give you an opportunity to be the church. And uh, that's just simply what we're calling it. When you came in today, hopefully you received one of these cards. And if not, you can pick it up at the Info Hub. But if you take a look at it on the back, we've just got a list of all of the different teams uh, that we have here at Genesis Church. And while we're always needing help, we're looking for volunteers in every area. We're especially needing help right now in Gen Kids. Uh, We're especially needing help right now with our host team. Uh, We're especially needing help with our tech team that helps to produce our Sunday morning services. And if you're not sure where to serve, if you don't know how to get a start, I want to point you to our network class that's coming up on Saturday, October the 20th. There's some info about it in your worship program. Uh, We're going to gather here on the 20th for some time, just kind of learning a little bit more about how God has designed you, the unique gifts that he's given you, because we believe that if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that he's given you a gift. You know, there's a contribution that he is ready and calling you to make. And so if you don't know how to get started, would you think about signing up to come be a part of our network class again on Saturday, October the 20th. Uh, But if you know today, check a box. Uh, If you're not currently serving somewhere here at Genesis Church and you call this church your home, uh, we want to invite you to join a team and, and not just to fill a slot. All right, we're not we're not just talking about scheduling slots here. Um, You know, what you do. And what we do every single week, it matters. And as we're going to look at in this message this morning, I mean, the church, it it really matters. I mean, what you do every week, I mean, when you serve, it matters. It matters for every kid and every student that's going to walk in the doors of this building today. 
Uh, it matters for every man or woman or couple that's going to drive into our parking lot here this morning. I mean, there, there's the, always this possibility that today one person will walk into this building and they're going to give us one shot. One shot to help them understand, to give them any reason why this church or why the message of Jesus Christ matters. And so everything you do, every amount of time that you give, um, I, I want to remind you today that it matters. Uh, we've got a great work. And so I want to invite you, will you be the church? Uh, will you check a box? Will you sign up for one of our teams? You can help us do the work that God has called us to do. And uh, if you check that box today as you're leaving, we'll have some boxes outside the door and you can drop that in there and uh, we'll get with you on where to go from here. Okay? All right. Sound good. Well, hey, we are in the, I think, fifth week. Man, we are running this into the ground uh, of this series called Big Church. And it's been a really long series, a little longer than the series we typically do, uh, but a very challenging series uh, for me personally, hopefully for you too. And I'm excited today as we have something just a little bit different uh, plan than we typically do. Now, why is this series called Big Church? Well, it's not because we're obsessed with becoming a big church. Uh, it's not because, you know, we think that Genesis is the real deal or the only deal in the community or something. But no, it's called big church because we believe the church is a big deal. You know, that the church and our message, it does matter. It mattered 2,000 years ago, and it still matters today. And it matters because we, as a church, as followers of Jesus Christ, have been entrusted with this message, the message that Jesus is the risen Christ, that he is the son of the living God. And because of his death and because of his resurrection, death has been defeated. And eternal life and victory and forgiveness is possible, are possible for anyone and everyone. So we've been looking at the book of Acts together, just kind of reading through and highlighting some of these great stories, learning how this first church came together and how it quickly grew and expanded from Jerusalem into the areas of Judea and Samaria and eventually to the ends of the earth. And how did it grow? I mean, how did the church grow and expand? I mean, it wasn't because of great teaching. You know, it wasn't because of great worship services or a particular location. The church grew because of, of the people. You know, it was the testimony of the eyewitnesses. I mean, this crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, I mean, it happened in their backyard. I mean, the Bible says that there were over 500 witnesses, you know, to the resurrected Jesus. And they, they, they were with him and they heard from him before he ascended into heaven. And, and so they heard him speak with their own ears. And because they witnessed his victory over death, they had a passion and, and news to share with others. And not only did they have a passion, but they had a gift. They had the gift of the Holy Spirit in them. And the gift of this Spirit enabled, you know, people like Peter and Paul and the apostles to live boldly and courageously. And even when threatened with their very own lives, I mean, nothing could prevent them from sharing the good news of Jesus with others. And, and so because they did this and because they lived this way, lives changed. And communities changed. And, and the Bible says that the church and these followers of Jesus were highly regarded by others. And, and Why? Because the message of Jesus was making a difference. And the people of the early church were making a difference in their community and in their families. And the church of Jesus, you know, was, was presenting and sharing this new hope with the world. And do you know what? I mean, the church of Jesus Christ, churches like Genesis today, we're, we're the hope of the world too. You know, we've been entrusted with this message that today in 2012, the church and the way you live your life, it's still matters. I mean, it's why we as a church have a divine purpose. It's why you in your life, as you give your time, as you live your life outside of the place, it matters. You have a divine purpose. And now more than ever, we need greater faith. 
And now more than ever, we need greater courage and greater passion and greater boldness so that others can know the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so again, as I mentioned a moment ago, today we're going to do something a little different. And we've done this here before, but today I want to share a portion of a message with you, a message by one of my favorite pastors, a guy by the name of Andy Stanley. And uh, Andy Stanley is the pastor of North Point Community Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And North Point, they broadcast their worship services out across the world every single week. And today, uh, we're going to have the opportunity to listen in on a particular message in a series at North Point. They're the original creators of this series called Big Church, and they invited other churches, churches like Genesis, to participate. But a few weeks back, as we were looking at this very long series, you know, those on our teaching team, we were just looking at this particular message by Andy Stanley, thinking, you know what, what a gift we could give you today to be able to listen into a large portion of this particular message. And so today, uh, we're going to get a chance to listen in on what Andy Stanley has to share, a message that he recently gave, a message addressing the question, does the church, 2,000 years later, after the resurrection of Jesus, does the church still matter today? And does what you do and how you live, does it matter? Enjoy. This risen Savior, it's absolutely incredible that the church is a big, big big deal. Now, the question I want to ask today and answer today is this. Does the church really matter today? Is our message relevant today? If we were to suddenly disappear and the church were to simply disappear, other than talk about heaven and, you know, good things by and by and, you know, what happens after a person dies, other than any comfort at funerals, would it make any difference? In other words, does our message matter today? Does our message really matter in this life? Does it make any difference if the church exists today? Is it making any difference in our culture? Has it made any difference in the world? And the answer is absolutely yes. But the problem is, as Americans, this is very, very difficult for us to appreciate. Your thinking and your understanding of right and wrong has been so impacted by Christianity, even if you're not a Christian, that it's impossible for us to fully appreciate it. We were born into a culture where certain values were accepted, where certain values were taught, whether it's in the public high school or public elementary school or even in your home. And we've come to believe, and it's understandable, it's understandable why, we've come to believe that everybody thinks this way. Well, of course that's right. Well, of course that's wrong. But because we're so accustomed to this, we cannot appreciate the value and the impact the local church and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has made on our culture. And if we were ever able to stand back and get the right perspective, we would say, wow, does the church matter? And wow, does the church matter more than ever in light of things that are happening in our culture? So perhaps the best way for us to appreciate that is to look at it from somebody else's perspective. You may be familiar with the name David Aikman. David Aikman was the chief, uh, was the bureau chief in Beijing for Time Magazine for many, many years. He wrote about 12 or 13 books. He was a real high-end guy. He um, lectured at Harvard University and other um, Ivy League schools. Um, he, when, he was, when he was working for Time Magazine, he, he interviewed like everybody from Alexander Solzhenitsyn to Mother Teresa to um, Billy Graham, um, uh, 
the list goes on and on. He was like the guy, okay? And so while, while he was in Beijing, he had access to all kinds of heads of ministries and heads of divisions um, in, 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 that, in that communist government. And during that time, he did many, many, many interviews. And I want to read to you a statement that someone he interviewed made about the impact of Christianity on our culture. Again, this is impossible for us to see. It's impossible for us to appreciate because we're Americans, because for most of us, this is all we've known. But here's, here's this quote. It's a little bit long, but it's pretty fascinating. Aikman records a statement from a Chinese social scientist, an, an intellectual, a Chinese social scientist indoctrinated in Maoism who had carefully studied the West. And here's what this individual said. One of the things we were asked to look into was what accounted for the success, in fact, the preeminence of the West over the world. So this group of social scientists were given the task of why is it, and of course this is because China wanted to become a world player as they have become, because they wanted their economy to flourish as it has, and so they sent the smart guys in to find out what is the West doing and how can we emulate that because we want to be and we want to have the kind of impact and the kind of economy that the West has, so they sent these guys in to research. We studied everything we could from the historical, political, economic, and cultural perspective. And listen to this. At first, we thought it was because you had more powerful guns than we had. That was the simple explanation. The bigger your guns, the more powerful your economy, the more widespread your influence. That would make sense. Then we thought it was because you had the best political system. Next, we focused on your economic system. But listen to this. But in the past 20 years, this has been going on a long time. In the past 20 years, we have realized that the heart of your culture is your religion, Christianity. That is why the West has been so powerful. Now, you don't think that way. I don't think that way. We think it's our economy. We think it's, you know, we got more airplanes. You know, we have smart bombs. You know, we're from sea to shining sea. We've got incredible, you know, we've got incredible um, breadth of landscape. And, you know, we're protected by oceans. And it's too cold in the north. And, you know, we have all these reasons. And here are the smart people in China going, what is the secret sauce? What's the secret? Aha, we've discovered it. It's Christianity. To which we go... Are you kidding? Because here's what we think. We think we're not even that good of Christians. I mean, we're good, good of Christians, you know, however you say that properly. We're, we're not, we don't do that. We're not, in fact, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're going, whoa, 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 don't throw me in with that bunch of crazy people. I'm not even a Christian. Don't blame what's happened in our culture on Christianity. And, you know, there's all kinds of divisions among Christianity. But an objective person stands back and says, you know what? You may not know the secret sauce. You may not know the secret of your power and success, but we've looked at it. We've discovered it. It's not your bombs and it's not your economy. And it's not your democratic form of government. There's something else. It's your religion. It's your Christianity. It goes on. That's what makes it powerful. The Christian moral foundation of social and cultural life was what made possible the emergence of capitalism and then the successful transition to democratic politics. We don't have any doubt about this. Here's what they discovered. It wasn't just capitalism. It was capitalism with a conscience. It was capitalism with a conscience, a conscience that was informed by the church. A capitalism with a conscience informed by the teachings of the church and the New Testament. And they stood back and they realized, smartly, wisely, 
Capitalism alone won't get us there. Bigger bombs won't get us there. The secret sauce is this, these values, this fundamental belief, this thing, this cohesion that brings them together, this amazing sense of right and wrong that, you know, that just dwarfs us in terms of their belief in human rights and individual rights. It goes on. Studies by Chinese sociologists reveal, this is the sociologists looking at their own country now, that in rural areas of China, that in rural areas where traveling evangelists, we would call them missionaries, where traveling evangelists introduce Christian faith in rural China, here's what happens. Opium addiction goes down, crime drops, and Christian families grow wealthier than their neighbors. Do you know what they discovered that we have lost sight of? The church matters. The church makes a cultural difference. That we, the things that we love and the freedoms we love and the opportunities that we have as Americans, we want to chalk it up to a whole lot of different things. But those on the outside looking in saying, you know what the thing that the secret sauce is there's a belief system, there's a value system, there's a dignity given to men and women and children, and it comes from your Christian heritage. That's the secret of Western success. But we can't see this. And here's why we can't see it. Because we think that all of this just comes natural. We think our view of right and wrong is just natural. I mean, doesn't everybody think that people should be treated this way? And doesn't everybody understand? And the answer is no. This is why you watch the news and you watch what happens in different countries. And of course, you don't say this unless it's the privacy of your home with your family. But you, you, you look at what happens in certain countries and you go, why can't they just grow up? Why can't they just get along? How in the world could they allow that kind of public poverty to exist? Why don't they do something about that? We would never allow that to happen in America. Why don't they? Why don't they? Why don't they? And the answer is because they do not see the world the way you see it. You have been so extraordinarily impacted by the church, by Christianity, by the New Testament. And other nations recognize that. Does the church matter? You better believe it matters. You see, we are not only stewards. We are not only stewards of the message of eternal life. We are stewards of a message of a better life, of a better kind of life, of a better quality of life. You see, nature in and of itself is violent. What comes natural isn't good. Nature is an earthquake that destroys a country. You know, natural or nature is a cyclone ripping through Australia. Nature or what's natural is a tornado ripping through a neighborhood. Natural is cholera outbreaks. Natural is disease. Nature is violent. Nature at times is beautiful. But when you move beyond the ethereal beauty of distance and you look at nature, nature is violent. I, I was, um, had the opportunity to, to go to Africa several times or different countries in Africa several times. My first trip... Um, it was about 25 years ago. I was with a friend named Randy Gardner. We were working with some students um, in the Rift Valley area and um, outside of Nairobi, Kenya. And um, we had an opportunity to go on a safari. Now, when you, when you go to Africa, that's the big deal. You want to go to safari, on a safari. Now, when you go on a safari, there's always two things that are on your mind, especially if you're a guy. First, are we going to see any, what? Lions. Everybody wants to see lions. So they go, yeah, we got lions. Yes, we do. We got lions, not in the zoo. Okay. So we go, I just made that up. So the second thing, the second thing, if you're a guy, you don't want to just see a lion. You want to see a what? A kill. That's right. You want to see lions kill. Why? Because nature is evil and you're evil. That's why you want to see that. Okay. 
You may be there on a mission trip, but I want to see the lions eat something, okay? This is awesome. So we were so fortunate. We drove up. You know, you don't pray for that, but it's like, it would, you know, you're, but the whole time you're out there, you know what you're looking for? You're looking for buzzards going, oh, go over there. There's buzzards. Let's see something die. You know, it's like, what's wrong with you? Nature. I'm natural, okay? So we were so fortunate. We pull up, and this, these lions had just taken down a Cape buffalo, which is very unusual. They usually um, you, they don't attack animals that are that ferocious or fierce. And so this, these are not my pictures. Um, so these lions, this was so cool. This was so cool. We, they just got there. The lions are taking, the animal was still somewhat alive. The lions are all gathered around this pride of lions, and they're, you know, they're eating the, this Cape buffalo. And we're about 100 yards away sitting in this, you know, this uh, truck kind of car thing. And as we watch, from the brush, we see the other animals begin to gather. And they know their place. They all sit quietly and patiently and wait their turn. The first group of animals we saw were these guys, the hyenas. And they're ugly and they're mean. And they all came and they just, they just sat. They like sat in rows, completely ignoring us, just sat at a safe distance waiting for the lions to finish. And then in the trees surrounding the kill, we saw a bunch of these guys just waiting, waiting their turn. They knew when the lions are done, you know, we have, it's our, it's our opportunity. And then beginning to gather at the periphery of that group were the jackals, these little puppies that looked kind of like foxes. So here's what happened. Yeah, see how they're cute? And I know they're just cute little, little foxes. And they were last. They were last. Another picture of jackals. And then there's this one going, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, he's hungry. Okay. <laughs> and we sat there. It was the circle of life. It was absolutely amazing. So after the lions finished their meal, they just walked off and literally just fell over in the bush with their feet up in the air. And then in came the hyenas and in came the vultures. And they began to, you know, eat. And then it was so cool. It was just like this picture. The jackals, literally that close, would just stand and wait their turn. Why? Because that's nature. Nature is the biggest and the baddest are first. Nature is all about might makes right. Nature is all about if I got the money and you don't have the money, I'm, I'm the, you know, I'm in charge. I get, I get to go first. Never once in all the scenario did we see any lions say, Hey, you guys, come on in. We'll share. Hey, guys, let's let the jack. Hey, don't you say this should be jackal day. This is going to be jackal day. Jackals, you guys come on in here. You get first dibs. And I want to apologize to the rest of the Cape Buffalo in the area next time. We'll try to, you know. It, no, it, and nature, nature is all about first come, first serve. Now, listen, this, is, this may be hard for you. Human nature is no different. It's not. We think it is because we're Americans. We think it is because we have been so extraordinarily Christianized that we don't even, we can't even appreciate it. Human nature looks like this. Human nature is racism. That you're different than me and I'm better than you. That's human nature. You've seen that. You have felt that. You've experienced that. And even though you would, you would say, oh, racism's a bad thing, you have felt it because that's natural. That's nature unleashed. Adultery. Everybody's against adultery, and yet it's so prevalent. Why? That's natural. It, that, that's nature. Na- left to itself, left to himself, left to herself. That's what nature's about. That's natural. Cheating. I mean, the, many of you, the only reason you don't cheat on your income taxes is because you think you'll get caught. That's it. That's the only reason you don't cheat. And you're Christians, and you sing the song, and I love Jesus. And Okay, I don't know if that's really, um, you know, you don't need to double check my math. What is that? That's human nature. Left to your own devices, if you thought you could get away with it, that's where nature goes. That's what's natural. Lying, slavery, first come, first serve, an eye 
for an eye. What we don't understand and what we can't fully appreciate is the church matters more than we can ever even explain because the teachings of the church is the teaching that says we can overcome and we can create a superior standard of living and a superior lifestyle to what nature left to its own would dictate. Now, the Apostle Paul guy who spread Christianity throughout the Mediterranean Rim. He talked about this specifically. And I want to read some verses from Galatians chapter 5 if you want to follow along in your Bible. And you've heard these verses before. You've read these verses before if you're a Bible reader. If you're not a Bible reader, these verses should make you want to read the Bible because you're not going to believe what's in there. It's, it's, it's incredible. And in these verses, the Apostle Paul is going to contrast for us what does nature look like and what do people look like when left to their own And then, this is so cool, and then he's going to say, but what if, what if there was a group of people that allowed God to control their behavior? What if there were a group of people that gathered together to allow the Spirit of God to change the way they viewed other people and change the way they treated other people? What would that look like? And what would that look like in the community? And then he's going to say, church, This is what you're supposed to look like. And if you read your history, here's what you'll discover. These little ecclesias, these little gatherings who gathered around the teaching I'm about to share with you as he wrote this to a group of of primarily Greek and Roman, Greek speaking, um, Greeks and Romans in, in the area of Galatia. As they began to allow their behaviors to be shaped and changed by this teaching, it began to impact their culture and ultimately the world. Here's here's what he says. Paul, writing Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify or give into the desires or the appetites. And you will not give into the desires or the appetites of the sinful, and here's our word, nature. In other words, he says, whether you want to admit it or not, if you go natural, it's not pretty. If you let nature, if you let your natural appetites and your natural desires rule your behavior, it's not pretty. In fact, he would say it's sinful. Then he goes on. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Now, this is kind of interesting. He's about to give us a list. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Obvious means this. When Paul shows us the list, none of us are going to go, what? People do that kind of thing? Obvious means you're going to see the list and go, I know somebody like that. I see him every morning in the mirror. Obvious means even though you haven't done some of these things, if you thought you could get by with it, you might. Here's the list. Acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, and you can define that any way you want. Every single person in this room knows something that we think is sexually immoral. And while we would chastise or point our finger at somebody else that would be involved in that behavior at the same time, you know at some point in your life you've been tempted to or have given into a similar temptation because immorality is natural. Immorality is the direction nature takes us. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Debauchery is a word we don't use anymore. Debauchery is basically just whatever, whenever, with whoever. That's what debauchery means. Now, let me pause and talk about that for just a minute, but not too long because we are in church. Men, I want to say something to men. Women, talk amongst yourselves for just a second. Um, (laughs) Men, can you imagine, and please, we can't imagine too much. Men, can you imagine living in a world where you totally allowed your sexual nature to control your behavior? 
If you just said, if somehow you were rich enough, powerful enough, controlled the laws enough to where you couldn't get in trouble and there were no consequences. Did you know in the first century there was a culture like that? It was called Roman culture. Did you know in the centuries that have followed, there have been cultures all over this world and the kings and those empowered lived that way? Do you know that it destroyed many of those nations and those cultures from the inside out? But they were the kings and the kings make the law and the emperors make the law and what they say is right is automatically right and they allowed their nature to sweep them along. Can you imagine what your community, your world, your schools would look like if somebody didn't put the brakes on that part of human nature because it is sinful no matter where you draw the line and no matter how you define sin? He goes on. Idolatry, idolatry is essentially giving more, putting more value on something than someone. Idolatry is, I don't mind hurting your feelings if it'll keep you from scratching my car. Idolatry is, I don't mind making you feel less than. I don't, I, I don't mind making you feel less important than my stamp collection, my coin collection, or my hardwood floors. Idolatry is stuff has greater value than people. Witchcraft is simply trying to harness the supernatural for your own selfish ends. Hatred, discord, jealousy. We can't see this one in the mirror. You just don't see jealousy in the mirror. Some of you ladies do not like skinny women. You just don't. You hate them. Okay, you can't say that. And you hate the fact you feel that way. You don't like it. Some of you guys don't like rich men. You see a guy with a super you know, awesome car that you're never going to be able to afford. You just decide, I don't like him. Do you know his name? Nope. You know what he looks like? Nope. I just looked at that guy's car. Whoever owns that car, I don't like him. Because it is natural. Come on, come on. We're all guilty of this. It is natural when somebody has something or looks away that you're never going to look or can't have. It is natural to want to bring them down. It's almost impossible to celebrate somebody else's success if they're more successful. Than you. What is that? That's nature. It's natural. It's the way the world naturally goes. Fits of rage, selfish ambition, he continues. Dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And the like is a little Greek phrase that means etc. That's where it came from, etc. And just stuff. Now, when I go through this list, nothing on this list was like, oh, was it? It's natural. We can all go in that direction. And do you know what we do in modern society with with things on this list? You know what we have to do? We have to establish laws. Do you know why we have laws? Because nature pushes all of us in those directions. That's why we have laws. Laws say, left to your own, you're bad. Laws say, left to your own, you will cheat and you will steal and you'll take advantage of people. So we have to have laws. Laws are the reason some of you are as good as you are. You're pretty good, but you're only good because of the law. And if you thought you could get away with fill in the blank, you'd do it. Is the church important? Does the church matter? Does the message of the church matter? Absolutely. Because apart from the message of the church, if things went the way things would naturally go, it would be a society that none of us would want to live in. So Paul says, there's another picture. But, but, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, do you know what this is? The Spirit is the thing that energized the first century apostles and the first century followers of the way and the first century Christians to go out into the street and risk their lives to say that God has done something new in our midst. 
The Spirit is what inhabits a believer when they say that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He rose from the dead. He died for my sins. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit moves in and begins to inform your conscience. It's the Spirit that kind of makes you think, oh, I shouldn't. It's the Spirit that says, I don't think I should go. I don't think I should look. I don't think I should click. I don't think I should type. I don't think I should cheat. It's the Spirit that begins to inform our conscience and move us to live and act in ways that on our own, naturally, we would never have done. It is the Spirit that moves you to live a life that, are you ready for this? That even if there weren't any laws, you would do the right thing. Now listen to this list. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love. Love is you first. Love is I was here first, but you can have my seat. Love is I'm going to sacrifice for you even though there's nothing coming back my way. You do not find that in nature. Love, joy, peace, peace. Go with nature, have an affair. Do you know what people who have an affair don't have? Do you know what you don't have if you're in the midst of an affair? You don't have peace, patience, kindness. And I'm telling you, Paul wrote this. Well, Paul wrote this when Rome ruled the world and kindness wasn't in their dictionary. It was might makes right. The emperor's word is law kindness goodness faithfulness faithfulness is if i said i will i will faithfulness is i signed my name and even if you know the state of georgia can't force me to do this i signed my name faithfulness is i said i would stick by you when things were good and things are bad I'm going to stick by you. Faithfulness is it doesn't matter whether the law makes me do it or not. I'm going to be faithful. Men, faithful is what you want your sons-in-law to be, isn't it? Faithfulness, gentleness, and then self-control. Self-control runs contrary to everything nature urges us to do. In fact, think about this. What if we just had self-control month? Imagine in America, just for a month, they put me in charge, just for a month, and I announced self-control month. For one month, just one month, everybody in America is going to exercise perfect self-control. Would that be a good month or a bad month? You'd be skinnier, you'd be healthier, you'd get along. Husbands would be unbelievable, wives would be unbelievable. You know, things on the internet that we wish we would go away, they'd go out of business for at least a month. So, what if we had so, if we, listen, if our culture simply embraced, forget the rest of the list, love, joy, peace, it sounds so soft, sounds like something a girl would do. Okay, what if, what if we just, just discount the rest of the list? If everybody in our culture embraced this one value, what a difference it would make. Does the message of the church matter? Oh yeah, because we're not just stewards of the message of eternal life. We're stewards of the message of a better life. And it runs contrary to what's natural. And it runs contrary to what's normal. And then the Apostle Paul ends this little dialogue with a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant 
brilliant insight. If you've read the scripture before, my hunch is you read over this and you kept going and you didn't go, oh my goodness, that's brilliant. There has to be something to the Bible. This next phrase is astounding. This next phrase, whether you're a Christian or not, new to Christianity, never read your Bible, always read your Bible. This is one of those where you got to go, if there's that kind of insight in this book, even if it's not inspired, I need to read it. This next phrase is staggering in its implications and its significance. Listen to how Paul finishes his list of what a person or a community looks like when they're filled with the Spirit. Against such things there is no law. If you're going, I was like ready for something big. What? Let me listen. This is huge. This is huge. Okay, don't, don't. If you've been counting ceiling tiles or lights or you're, you know, doing email at home, okay, come back right here with me and say, listen, listen. Listen to this. He says, when it comes to the natural deeds of the flesh, we have to have laws to control people's behavior. But when an individual, when a family, when a community, when a culture, when a nation embraces the deeds and the activities fueled by the Spirit of God, there's no need for law. You see, you never hear somebody saying, hey, 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 that's enough patience. Sit down. Don't make me come over there. No more patience. (laughs) Too much joy. Okay, joy is probably not a good illustration, okay? People like me. Some people have too much joy. Just kidding. Too much love. You, you know the problem with your marriage? Too much love. You've got to tone down love. We need a law against love. A law against self-control. Are you kidding me? Do you understand how brilliant this is? Paul says, when a culture, when an individual, when a family, when a Christian embraces and allows the Spirit of God to transform their behavior, the need for law diminishes to nothing. Because suddenly... I'm not the center of my world. Suddenly, it's not all about me. It's all about you as my Savior made it all about me as well. Do you know how powerful that is? This is why great marriages, they have no rules. Guidelines, they just love each other. Great families, very few rules. Great companies, very few policies. When people understand it, when people allow this to transform their behavior, the need for law diminishes to absolutely the minimum amount of laws. Isn't that awesome? You see, here's why I'm saying this. Does the message of the church matter? Are you kidding me? We are stewards of the message of a better life Now, and we are in a way an illustration as a nation with all our problems and the fact that we need to shore up some of our values. Absolutely. We talk about that stuff all the time. But compared to where we could have been, compared to where some nations are, we we are basically the fruit of this principle. That what's happened in our country and who we are and the things that we understand is right or wrong, they are not natural. We have been taught. We have bought in. We have been stamped with a future, with a previous generation, previous generations of people who understood and thought like the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is very important, and I want to make sure I make this clear. The church has never thought, the church has never thought that all cultures are equal in terms of validity or in terms of experience. The, 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 the church has never said that all cultures are equal, and you've got a culture and i got a culture, and they're all of equal value. The church has always said there's a superior culture, 
And so to the first century Roman culture, the church said, you know what? We don't think a culture that treats women as property is good. We don't think a culture that says the king's word makes law is good. We don't think that's a good culture. We think that our Christian culture is superior to the culture of Rome. And we think that our culture is superior to the culture of the Greeks where the caste system kept people at a certain place economically that they could never move out of. And since that day, the church has always said, we're not better because God made us better, but our culture, our way of life is superior. And yes, we would love the entire world to adopt these values. It is a better life. It provides for a better life. We think our Christian values are better than a culture where a man can put his daughter to death because she dishonored the family. Christians say, no, you forgive and you reach out and you love. And we say, that's better. We think our culture is superior to a culture that says little girls are of less value than little boys. And if you have a little girl, you set her on the steps of the orphanage and you have, are out in the woods or out in the street and you go have yourself another little boy. We say, no, we think God created little boys and little girls equal, that they all have value in God's eyes. And the interesting thing is in the cultures in our current world where little boys are valued over little girls, guess who's reaching out and fostering and adopting little girls? Christians. Christians. And they're making a huge difference. And in some cases, it's almost borderlines on illegal. But they realize, wait a minute, God made little boys and little girls. We have a superior way of looking at life. We think that our way of looking at life is superior to a religion or a culture that says, don't help poor people because you might mess up their karma. You might mess up their experience in a future life. We say, no, our way is superior. We're not superior, but we have the opportunity to bring a better life now because of what Jesus taught and what the New Testament taught. Come on. It's the church. It's the church that says everybody you are ever eyeball to eyeball with was made and fashioned in the image of God. They have dignity and they have value. It's the church that says, husbands, come on, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Maybe we should have a love your wife like Christ loved the church month. Maybe that'd be a good start for the self build up to the self-control month, right? Imagine the difference in our American culture if for a month, Christian and non-Christian decided, I'm going to value and treat my wife like Jesus valued and treated those that he loved. Imagine the difference that would make. Who else is going to say that if the church doesn't say that? It's the church that says, forgive Forgive, forgive. It's not an eye for an eye. It's forgive because you've been forgiven. It's accept because you've been accepted. It's serve because you've been served. It's the church that says value those who the society says has little values. It's the, it's the church that says give even when nothing's coming back to you. Show mercy even to those that haven't shown you mercy. Love your enemies. Pray for those. Who, who else is saying that? Does our message matter? Of course it matters. Because we have the message of eternal life, but we've got a message of better life. Hey, come on, it gets deeper than that. It's the church that says sex isn't for mature people, it's for married people. It's the church that says that sex is, is more than physical, that you're more than a physical body. You have a soul. And that God gave this intimacy and God gave this sense of oneness for a very specific purpose. If that message disappears from culture, it leaves us in a place where we treat people like they're nothing more than a body. And every single married person knows there's more to sex than something physical. Every human being knows in their soul that's the case. But if the message of the church goes away, where does that message go? And, and, and it's the church that's been on the forefront 
to say to women that abortion is not a solution. And I don't care if you're pro-life or you know, pro-choice. The church says abortion is not a solution. And the reason it's not a solution is you're not just a physical body. You have a soul. And anything that negatively impacts your soul, we stand up and say, wait, 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 wait. There's a better way. So if the church disappears, that messaging disappears. It's a message that has shaped our culture. It's a message that has shaped the West. It's a message that China looks at and says, that's what we're missing if we're going to be what the West has become. And their motives may be purely economic, but if it opens the door to American Christians and evangelists and missionaries, the Apostle Paul said, I don't care why they let you preach, you just go in there and preach because the power of the gospel has the power to transform lives, communities, nations, and even the entire world. Now, does what we do matter? We have no idea. Does what Genesis Church, what we do, does it matter? I mean, we really have no idea. Um, A couple of our staff this past week met with a local township trustee Uh, to kind of understand a little bit more about what they're doing and where they're pointing people, you know, that have particular questions. Just asking lots of questions like where do you send people for food or where do you send people in a financial crisis or for financial counseling? Where do you send people that are having problems with housing or problems with transportation? These matters. And for every answer, this local township trustee, his answer was a church. It was a different church, and after the fifth or sixth question, the trustee just stopped, and he looked at a couple of the members of our team, and he says, you know what, I I just got to be real honest with you and say that we are so blessed here in Hamilton County. If it weren't for the churches of Hamilton County, we, we have no idea what we would do. I mean, the church, churches like Genesis and many other churches here in Hamilton County, the churches are making a difference. The church matters. And I hope that today this message is just a great reminder to you that what you do and how you live your life and how you treat people and how you reach out, that it really does matter. And it matters because this message, this message of Jesus Christ, it is still changing lives today, even 2,000 years later as he ascended into heaven. You know, I, I was thinking that in this day with elections and financial stress and another breaking news story on the news, I mean, there are just so many days, I don't know if you're like me, where you just sit back and wonder, you know, is it all slipping away? And, and even this temptation, if you're a Christian from time to time to say, you know, what, I'm just going to take my home and I'm going to put up a wall around it or I'm going to take my kids and we're going to move to the woods of Idaho and, you know, we're just going to escape from this world until Jesus comes back. But We can't do that because Jesus Christ has put us in this world for a reason. He has given us life and he's given us hope and he's given us the message that people can find their way back to to God and they can find their way back to God because of the cross. The church matters. Our message matters. And what you do and how you live your life today. It really matters. Will you stand with me? Let's, let's pray together as we get ready to close out our service today. God, I, I thank you and I give you praise, Lord, that you sent Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and that you have given me and my life and for so many here today this message of hope and that we've embraced this message of hope in our life and it's transforming us and, and we're not better today um, 
because, you know, we're Christians, but we're better today because of you and your son and how you're changing us and for forgiveness and hope and eternal life. And and God, I know that there are so many people here today that have that and have embraced that in their own life. And I pray, Lord, that, that for every person here today, God, that we would be encouraged, that there might be one thing that we take away, that we walk away from this room today that will motivate us and encourage us and remind us that the way that we live, the way that we share, the stories that we tell, the hope that we live with, the way that we respond in difficult times, the way that we respond in the good times, God, that in every way and in every situation, we would always point to you as the hope and the answer to this world. God, we want to make a difference. And for Genesis Church and for so many churches in this community, God, I thank you that as Andy Stanley shared, that you've given us not only the message of eternal life, but the message of a better life. And God, I pray we would be encouraged in that today in everything that we do. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us a divine purpose and a reason and a mission for living. And we're going to walk in it today. And we pray this in Jesus' name.